Hi, yeah, my name's uh, Paul Edwards. I'm uh, an ex-patient of uh, the IAP service in, uh, in Staffordshire. I'm Sarah Watts. I'm the clinical lead with the Staffordshire and Stoke-on-Trent Wellbeing Service, the IAP service. Um, I'm a consultant clinical psychologist and an accredited CBT therapist. This is really about the relationship that you have as a patient and a therapist and where how that developed and where that took you and then what that's leading on to. So I'm not going to kind of steal your thunder. Let's start and see where we get to. So, Paul, do you want to give us a bit of your kind of background and tell us why you sought out therapy in the first place? Yeah, thanks, Andre. I um, I was uh, a, a police officer for 20 odd years, 25 years. And uh, in 2008, I got asked to um, take part in a very secret worldwide paedophile investigation which involved the FBI and many many other people from around the world uh, culminating in 2009 where I had to do a piece of work for the uh, Court of Appeal uh, and uh, long story short after this week of doing this really intense work I actually convinced myself I was a paedophile which was um, yeah something that was very hard to deal with uh, reached out um, through my boss, saw psychologists, but like that macho rugby playing detective I was, probably wasn't honest with myself, uh, so therefore wasn't honest with the psychologist that I had then. Fast forward seven years, various times had breakdowns, saw a couple of different psychologists, CBT, EMDR, but again wasn't honest because I wanted my uh, my job, my vocation. I didn't want to let anybody down. I didn't want to be a failure. But ultimately, in 2016, had to retire. Um, major breakdown again, and then found my local IAP service because I needed to reach out and uh, got in touch with uh, Sarah's team, and uh, my life changed for the better. So tell us from your perspective, Sarah, what that first meeting was like. I guess that's somebody who's clearly had a lot of difficult time over the last few years. How did Paul kind of present to you? What were your first reactions? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? There, there are some meetings that stay with you very clearly, and I do very clearly remember the first time um, Paul, well, first time I, I met him in the waiting room and walked, walked down to the, the clinic room. In fact, we, we've talked about this several times since. I actually had a trainee psychologist shadowing me that day, um, and we asked for Paul's consent for them to, to sit in the room with us. Um, Paul consented, said that was fine. And recently um, we were talking about this again and Paul said to me, was there somebody else in the room? And he's got absolutely no memory of that. Um, and that, that I think kind of sums up how, how things were at that first meeting. Um, I, by the end of the meeting, I didn't know whether Paul would come back or not. Um, I knew that, that CBT could be helpful to him. Um, I knew that there was definitely work we could do to support him with the difficulties he was having. Um, but I think that there was a lot of, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn, Paul, when I say this, there was a lot of emotion present. Um, it was quite difficult for that to be expressed at first. Um, and I guess my initial response was, yes, we can help, but I don't know if he's ready. And, you know, that kind of left that with him to make that decision, really. So I didn't know whether he would come back, but he did. Um, and, you know, it, it led to quite a journey, really, in therapy. And, and since then, I guess, as well. 
So how did Sarah help you? I think we we go back to you know that first person who opened the door to me, um, and the engagement, and 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 I call it smiley eyes, and and that was the receptionist. Um, who now has gone on to, and is actually a senior PWP. So, you know, it's fantastic. But it was that engagement. I knew I'd got the right place. I felt that somebody cared. So when I walked into the room and, and spoke with Sarah, she wasn't, she wasn't putting any pressure on me. It felt like she, she cared and she wanted to treat me as an individual. And, um, collaborated with me and what what my goals were what my thoughts were where I was what what my problems were but it was a chat and and this is the one thing that I I really I I always say we just had 18 months of chats because that's how it felt to me I didn't feel that I was being judged viewed I didn't feel like there was any you know, I'm the I'm the therapist. You're the patient. It was it was us. It was our journey to get me better. And I didn't know what that journey was, but I knew what I needed. I wanted my life back. I needed to function on a daily basis. But I didn't know how Sarah was doing that from a clinical perspective. I just knew that I was going in every week or so for a chat. And and this is where I always have to interject and say we were doing more than having just a chat. Just from a technical perspective, we were actually doing something else. But I guess that it proves the point. And it's a point that I I labour a lot with people that, you know, CBT doesn't have to be this structured, manualised set of sessions that people sometimes perceive it to be. You know, CBT, you know, needs to be delivered in the way that the patients can receive it. And, you know, for Paul, that was best done in a, in a, a less formal setting in a very collaborative way um it was led by what he brought and I then brought the theory into that and introduced that and we worked choosing you know what we needed to do you talk now don't you Paul about your toolbox you know we brought in lots of different strategies at various appropriate points um we did formulate although in a less formal way than sometimes we might do it with some people um you know there was that plan in place I I did know where we were heading but I knew that at the time Paul wasn't in a position where he wanted to know all that he didn't want to know the theory you didn't want to know where it was going so I needed to hold that and you know we worked with it a little bit at a time as we went through and by the end you had your toolbox in place and I know you're still using that now when you need to. Yeah I think that's that's the interesting thing isn't it that I describe CBT as physiotherapy for your mind it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of tools that you've got to to exercise your mind and bring things back in and it's only your hard work from the patient's perspective um, that can bring that but you need that guidance from your therapist to make sure that you are doing your exercises correctly and using them at the right time as would any physiotherapy for the body and I, and I think that you know when Sarah talks about that roadmap is you know I, I talk now about everybody knows that you know sometimes life gives us diversions and sometimes it takes us a longer route round and we get there in the end or other times it, it's a shorter route and we actually get to a different place but actually a better place um and and it's that formulation that i under I, i'm not clinton that formulation that sarah brought that guided us along that path to what i was going to i was at the bottom of a well and i, I could see the top but i couldn't quite reach and get out and and Sarah showed me the steps and yeah we take you know one step up and three step back sometimes but I never got back down to the bottom step 
So I always was increasing, you know, on those rungs to a ladder. And I still now, now use my tools. You know, sometimes I just call them different things. You know, behavioral activation means nothing to me. Making a list is. And what I'm actually doing, behavioral activation, but I don't need to know it's called behavioral activation. I need to know what it does rather than what it's called. Um, and But that's me. Some of the people might need to know it's called behavioral activation. But I think it's that individualized therapy that Sarah brought that made me understand that that's what I need to, when I talk from a lived experience point of view to new students and whatever, we're all individuals. Treat us as individuals. Don't, don't believe that, you know, we know what you're talking about just because you've read the book. We don't. So, you know, judge us and, 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 and look at how we are. Form that relationships to start with um, and, and engage with us. So we've got this thing called CBT and it's a huge umbrella of all sorts of different talking treatments that can help people. And obviously the people that turn up at a talking therapy service, an IAPT service, have got so many different problems. You know, such a variation, such variation of history. And if there's trauma in that history as well, that com- you know complicates it so much. How do you decide, Sarah, what to do? How do you work it out what's going to be best for the individual? When somebody comes into the service, they're a whole person, aren't they? They don't come in with just just the bit of them that that doesn't feel right. You know, we, we need to look at people as a whole. So, our job as therapists is is to take that information from them um, and for them to tell us everything they feel is relevant. For us to ask the questions that we need to to see if we think certain things are happening or not happening. But then the important thing is how we filter that information. Um, and and working with the patient to look at what their priorities are, what their goals are in the situation they're in at the moment. So they may come in and say to us, I've got six different things at the moment that don't feel right in some way. Um, And our job is then to to filter that information out, to look at what the priorities might be for the person. Um, You know, there may be clinical priorities if there are things like risk present or, you know, there are a particularly distressing set of symptoms that somebody wants to work on at that point in time. Um, so we're looking for I've talked to people sometimes it's sometimes a bit like a pattern matching exercise we're looking to see are their symptoms consistent with for example with Paul with with post-traumatic stress disorder or are they consistent with depression or have we got a mixture of you know several different things going on here at the moment um, and then in terms of CBT we would then look to to select an appropriate what we call formulation which is like a roadmap which is based in the theory of CBT that helps the patient and the therapist uncover together you know what's led to them coming to this point in time what's happened in the past maybe that's brought them here what's going on in the present that maintains those problems Um, because that then helps us to look at the thoughts and the emotions and the behaviours that somebody is experiencing in the here and now and then thinking about you know where in that cycle could we possibly intervene you know what's not helpful at the moment and what can therapy help somebody work on to become more helpful so that they can respond to things in the way that they want to and help them to you know resolve those issues they've got and to work towards the goals that they want to work towards. And from your perspective Paul um, you said that a year, a few years before you met Sarah, you saw another therapist and you found it difficult to be open and honest with them. I guess it's really important if you're having this kind of formulation approach that you are ready for it and you can be open. How, how did that work from your side? Why was that different this time? Yeah, I, I, th- I think it was different for me in, in, in several aspects. 
in as much that the uh, the the two psychologists that I saw were 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 great. You know, I'm not I'm not denouncing them. It was me not being honest with myself because of my circumstance in my life. So the first psychologist was employed by the police. Uh, I rightly or wrongly, you know, wanted my to keep my job. I, and I thought, well, if I tell them that, I'll get better. If I if I tell them that, if I don't tell them that, then that's all right. That's okay. So, and I, I remember, you know, very much different. I. I the, the very, very first time I saw the psychologist, I presented and I did my my scores and my my uh, my measures, and uh, they went, "Wow, that's the highest score I've ever seen." And it was like, "Oh shit, I'm a number now." So all I've got to do is get the, you know, I've got to get the numbers down. And if I get these numbers down, then naturally my brain will follow and get them there. So at times I manipulated those scores because I thought that was what they wanted to hear and that would get me better not realizing actually that was no use whatsoever uh, and the second one again i was fighting for my job i guess even though they weren't employed by the police you know as i was fighting for my job i didn't want to you know how was i going to provide for my family if i retired in you know in my early 40s you know i'll just carry on doing it and and i i continue to work i continue to work but I'd got no room in my mind for anything other than work. So the rest of my life was was um, was suffering. So my you know my personal life, you know, luckily um, you know I'm still with the wife and kids, and they actually like me now, which is nice. Um, but yeah, it was that my brain had only got a certain amount to function, and I had to give it all to work because that was what i was my major thing you know i was still dealing with major inquiries as part of a team you know um but not sleeping and and stuff like that but i guess when i retired that was that massive release and then not to go into the same offices and the same thing and it was just pure cbt that's all we did we just had this chat and i just i could release it but interestingly, I went back into therapy in late uh, 2020 because of some circumstances with with another therapist, obviously uh, not Sarah. And something came out of that that I'd never released because another part of my life uh, to do with this case moved on. And it was only at that point that I felt I could release it. So, you know, this journey is continuing. And, and because of the complexities probably of my PTSD, you know, I, I always think I will be in recovery. I think it's it's one of those I will be. But every day I strive to do a little bit more. Um, but because of the nature of the, you know, the, the illness, I've got too much in my head to uh, probably fix it all. Uh, hopefully one day, well, I'm only about 97 when it finally all releases, but uh, I'm ever hopeful. I feel like Graham Norton now because this is the bit where we talk about the book um, but it's not yet a book that I can lift up and say hey guys <laughs> um, but so tell us about the, the kind of idea behind writing a book together you've got this successful double act and you want to turn it into a publication. Yeah so we've we've done a few public speaking gigs together haven't we Paul we've, we've, we've spoken at a few events and um, there always seems to be a lot of interest in in listening to the combination of the patient and the therapist who've worked together talking about that same experience and how it was on both sides of the fence. Um, so we've had this idea um, that we might write a book 
about the experience um, of therapy and also what's happened after therapy because you know we are now sort of working together really we're still collaborating on, on getting the message out to people um, so the idea of the book is that, that we start at the beginning of the journey and um, you know bring it up to date really and, and the message we hope will be a message of hope to people that you know therapy can be tricky and people can be in some really very difficult places but actually you know, therapy, CBT, you know, can really be helpful. You know, it's a very collaborative piece of work. It's it's a piece of work, you know, that, that we did together um, for a fairly long period of time. Um, but I think we hope it will be of interest to people to see, you know, the differences in how the therapist and the patient were responding at different points in that journey and, you know, how it came together at the end. And I guess when you go to the psychology section or the well-being and self-help section of any bookshop, there's a big chunk of stuff there which is written from the lived experience perspective and there's a big chunk of stuff that's written from the clever psychology professor perspective not mentioning any names but there's, there's also very little in the middle isn't there so what what is it about this kind of joint authored book that you think is going to be appealing to people I, I think some of it will be the fact that neither of us profess to be an expert here. I think it, it, it's I think it's about the journey. It's about the fact that it's not perfect. And sometimes things didn't go to plan, did they? And, and you know, sometimes we, we both had to work things out and step back and try again. And I think, you know, I hope people will see there's an honesty to that of actually neither of us is an expert. We're not going to present this shiny, you know, it's all perfect. This is how it works. We're going to kind of present it as it is. Um, and I think this is how most therapy is for people. You know, it is difficult. It is a struggle. But ultimately, you know, it can be really, really worthwhile. And, it, and you know, it can help people achieve those goals. So I think there's something in there about we're, we're not going to pretend this is anything it isn't. We're going to show it as it is. And I hope people will be able to relate to that. It will be an open and honest reflection of our journey and our continued journey and, and our, you know, four rules and our faults and our learnings and Hopefully our learnings will help other people. 